0: Welcome back again to the Stories Beneath and my name is Margaret McKenna, I'm a visual artist and a visual storyteller because I believe that every image is a story and every story has an image. Today is St Patrick's Day, law éle and I hope you're having a lovely day wherever you are. I had a nice day earlier on out of the parade getting soaked but it was nice to be in the community and waving on the tractors and a few of the the, um, little floats that went along it's only a small parade small town so um, anyway uh, I have to do a little bit about Patrick himself today obviously because being the day that's in it and the places of course associated with him because the podcast is generally about the places in Ireland that the meanings of of which have been lost through translation throughout the centuries Um, learning about St Patrick at school we heard the story of him coming to Ireland as a um, young boy, as a slave. Um, it's not known where he was born. Some say it was Scotland, and perhaps Lower Scotland, because it, it was he was a Roman Briton. He said that himself in his letters. He was a Roman Briton, um, and he therefore it would have been Lowerland Scotland, because the Scots did not go into the, or the Romans didn't uh, enter the Highlands of Scotland, and or he was in Wales and he was taken over to Ireland as a young boy, 16 and sold to a guy called Milkhew as a slave. And he worked as a shepherd on a Slemish mountain in County Antrim. And of course Slemish is from Sleave Mish, which means the mountain of Mish. We don't know who Mish was. There is Sleeve Mish Mountains in Kerry, and that's associated with the different um character in mythology, but very much associated with that end of the country. Unlikely that the opposite end of the country would be the same Mish. So I'm not going to do it there. Um so Sleeve Mish Mountain, and he while he was here there, he had, he suffered quite bad. He was out in the cold and the wet, and he wasn't treated very well by this guy, Melhew. And he wasn't a, now, he wasn't a, he wasn't a Christian. Well, I mean his family probably were Christian, but he wasn't a Christian as such. Uh, he was a fairly non much of a lot non-believer, but gradually over the years, being on the mountain, he became very spiritual. And when he left, he eventually escaped as a young man of 22, and he, he went off to, to France and thought he actually studied in Lorraine in France and in Auxerre in France, and um, before coming back to Ireland, because he called, according to the legend, according to his um, confessions. Is Confessio two letter, two much writings? Collection of writings is Confessio and his writings, to the le- the letters to the soldiers of Corte Um and you get glimpses into his own life in both of, in them, especially in his Confessio, where he talks about hearing the voice of the Irish wanting to be converted. He wanted to convert Melchior, he wanted to convert. The Irish people, and he heard the voices. There's only one place name, interestingly enough, mentioned in all his writings, and it is the Forest of Foglut, It's called. It is thought nowadays it's a place called Fog Hill, in near Killala in Mayo, and it is actually an Irish Foghill, which is under the wood, um, under the wood or under the forest. So or Underwood maybe, Underwood under the forest so anyway he came he he heard, this is where he heard the voices there's a little controversy about that because um it, it some people are, have written that wrote that because he heard the voices from from this place that this was actually where he was kept as a slave not in Antrim which is on the other side of the country i mean Mayo was on the west coast Antrim was on the northeast coast and because if he would have obviously heard the voices of the people from where he, from, you know, from where he was kept, but of course he wrote this letter, these letter, this confessio in Ireland, so perhaps he he had de- definitely travelled to Mayo because he was in Croc-Patrick. so it's a little bit interesting um, as to where he actually was kept as a slave. But to all intents and purposes, the legend, the main tradition is that he was on Slemish. And um, now we often hear a lot of controversy about Patrick lately. I've seen a good bit about him. Um, I've actually seen whereby he, um, well, whereby someone was asking, how much genocide was he responsible for? In a, this was on a Facebook post on in, a, in a, on a particular Facebook page, and I have to admit I found that quite, I wouldn't say amusing, but a, a bit uh, taken aback at it, and even more taken aback at the answers, which actually concurred that yes, he was involved and he destroyed the the, the Druidic system and etc etc. and I really the irish history is quite different from other places where yes christianity was often forced upon many nations and um, i mean the history of christianity christian conversion isn't very the best one no, no it's not just christian i mean a lot of the religions do the same carry on so i'm not going to i'm not going hard on the christians by any means but you know it is known that they you know we could convert or die in many cases but in in this case ireland was it was was different because although we had the roman um system on the continent and of course roman the romans it was sort of now except sort of the christian sort of become a christian now as a, well that's a big old quotes in the, around that um because of that we actually have a case i sorry there's something coming up there my computer oh, i'll leave it it's okay uh, i hope you didn't hear that beeping sound in the background um anyway but the Romans themselves never came to Ireland as such, as, as a colonising force. Um, Julius Caesar is said to have called um, it being a waste of time to come to Ireland. Some people say it's because he was afraid to come to Ireland. Um, also, it was classed as being very bad climate. Um, it was called Hibernia, which is winter. And of course, this isn't the best climate. Now, that is the truth, to be the truth of it. Um, but having said that, um, there was trade with Rome and we certainly know that we found there's been Roman coins found here, Roman artefacts, but there was no actual Roman Empire as um, coming in here to take over or even to even in terms of coming with Catholicism or coming with Christianity as it would have been back then uh, to convert the nation. Um, And indeed, Patrick was not the first Christian here, but a lot of people think he was the first Christian. He arrived here and said, OK, lads, we're going to convert you all. Um, he wasn't. There was there was actually Christian communities here for some time because it was simi- around his uh, at the same time as Patrick. There was a guy called Palladius and Palladius was a Gaul who was sent to Ireland by Pope Celestine, I to uh, to minister to the Christian settlements in Ireland. So there was already Christians here and indeed he was associated with Leinster, very much with Leinster. And um, indeed, I was in a graveyard not so long ago, a very old graveyard that has very interesting Ulm stones in it and it has graves going back to pre-Christian all the way through to modern times, really. And it is thought that Palladius had two manuscripts had been left there after he uh, left the place. So he was working away in Leinster, whereas Patrick was more northern half of the country. Um, although also he was over to the West as well, he was in Mayo, as of course, he's associated with Crowe Patrick. So the kind of conversion we're talking about of Ireland was not the genocide. It was not the um, the sort of convert or die regime that we've seen in, in many places and certainly in, in years later in conquests of, of say in the New World. Um, it was very much um, a gradual process, and I think that is, and it is quite noticeable because Ireland has, you know, the, yes, when Christianity became more established, the pagan religion did die away, but many of the pagan customs stayed. And all was look, is look at all our holy wells, for example, around the country. They have Christian names. They have Saint Patrick wells, Saint Bridget's wells, Saint Finian's wells, Saint Killian's well, Saint Columbus well, Saint whoever's well. But the traditions and the devotions around them are very much, many of the time they're often pagan, for example, we see the rag trees with their votive of offerings they may have the rosary beads they may have medals they often also have, have, have pagan offerings too, so many, but even the whole idea of it is from pagan times, and these were sort of married together, um, so that Christianity and, and and the early Irish church was a very much a, an independent church, and in fact some of the early um, the saints of Ireland were very much in in in, 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 um, in opposition to Rome and, and and fought Rome on on various aspects. So it was a very gradual process, um, and I don't it, it, to me and I don't believe there's any foundation for any uh, genocide of any description that happened in Ireland in terms of our sort of conversion, as it were, to Christianity. Um, and I, th- I think it, it was a gradual, as say, just uh, culture was more was stronger. It happens in so many other places. And of course, then it was replaced by colonialism. And then there came a battle between, oh, the sectarian element between two Christian, two different types of Christians. And then the rest is history, as I say. What we always do is look, we, I talked last week about, in my podcast about Grania Níwália, Grania Whale, the pirate queen, and who would have been a Catholic or a Christian or a Catholic probably, because this would have been after the schism between the... Um, the, the, the Henry VIII's time of the two churches, so she would have been Catholic, but she lived according to the Brehon laws, which meant that after a year and a day, she was able to divorce, something that was indefinitely not allowed in the Catholic Church. In fact, the very reason why Henry VIII just set up his own church to start with. So, um, uh, you know, we can see how the Irish were living a very mixed ma- mishmash of traditions, um, at this, and that's back, back into the 1500s. So, um If there had been a genocide, if there had been a a, a genocide of it and and a a ridding of the Druids, it would have been a much more, a much harsher uh, conversion and uh, getting rid of the traditions there and then which didn't really happen. I mean, even today we see pe- we see so much of people, even in, in down in rural areas, people having the cure, which is definitely not a Christian idea. That would have gone back to very ancient times. Um, we don't see it throughout history. There wasn't the same emphasis on witch hunts in Ireland. We had one or two, but they were mainly actually from the authorities. They had nothing to do with sort of the traditions here um, because people who would have been considered witches in um in other places which you know i mean people who were of nature people who especially women who would have been you know maybe great healers and who lived this in a very independent life um in a sense the, that sort of old that woman up the road who uh, in ireland would have had been there would have been a a, a fear maybe about her around her but wrongly so of course but uh, in terms of the fact that she would have had maybe there would have been that pagan there would have been that mix of pagan and christian together she would have perhaps prayed but also would have had brought in invoked some of the old christian or a pagan beliefs. so there was that kind of respect almost maybe not by the priests maybe not by the bishops but it was there and um certainly even how our wraths how our forts always had that mystery about them uh, people would not touch them for fear of the fairies, uh, for fear of the ancestors, the fear of Sheog, um, what might become them. They are all very, very much traditions and superstitions that would not have been approved by the quote unquote church, but at the same time survived. So all of this, it, it really plays into the fact that it was a very gradual process, the Christianity Christianity to Ireland. Um, and as I was saying, we have a few a, there's a few myths, of course, about Patrick as well. Uh, I mean, we do learn a little bit about his writing in his writings about him, um, and also he wrote a letter to this guy, uh, these soldiers, I should say, of Caroticus, and it was a letter to uh, begging them not to uh, condemn uh, or to execute Christians that he had converted. We're not really sure who who he was. Some say he might have been a Roman living here. Others say it was to do with this um, king uh a king of um oh what was it called um the king uh the G- G- ceretic Goletic, it was um i'm just reading it here i'm trying to remember exactly the name it's one of those weird words and he and i'm sure i'm pronouncing that all wrong so just please excuse my bad latin very bad Latin, in fact please anyway so i uh, am um, he, he, he anyway some Christians were being taken as prisoners and were being either sold as slaves or being executed. And he writes to them, to the soldiers of Beraticus, begging that they have mercy on the Christians. So by all accounts, he wasn't, um, he wasn't a fighter in the terms of a military man by any chance. remember he was one man by, uh, again, uh, he um, there may have been um, Christians versus. I'm sure there must have been conflict at some stage between groups of Christians and pagans. I mean, you know, it'd be hard to believe in the in the history of of, of humanity that this wouldn't happen. I mean, every country seems to go through it at some stage. But there was no out outright um, military campaign. Sure there, there, he was not alone. He wasn't with the Romans. He was on his own. Um, also, um, we have him. Two guys in the 12th century, Khan and Merhu, and then they do write about him and say that he was a—he came up against a druid and sent a druid flying through the air. So this was trying to make him powerful, trying to bring him up maybe to the to the to the level of our old legendary heroes like Lú or you know or Kukholin or Fionn giving him that kind those kind of powers. And um, interestingly enough, in terms of places that are mentioned in his writings, there's only one place actually mentioned. That's the that's the forest of uh, it's called Fogloth. Fogloth in old uh, language and old Irish. And in actual fact, it's thought to be in Cal- near Kalala And it's Foghill or Foghill, which means under the wood. And um, and it's interesting, so that's Foghul under the wood, and we have Slemish where he was held as a captive, by the way. And that is the, the mountain of Nish. Um, now, it's interesting because there's a bit of discrepancy as to whether he was actually in Slemish or Foghul. Because they there has been academics who said that if he, he said that the people of Ireland, the people from Foghul, these were calling him back, that he could feel, hear the cry. And he wanted to go back and convert them. And it is, there is, it said that maybe that these were the people where he, he was, well, spent some of his youth, i.e., as a slave with, in which case it meant that he was over in Mayo. But um, the main tradition is that he was um, kept on Slemish. Um, and of course, the other place that very much associated with Patrick is Kropatrick Patrick or Crook Paldrick. And Crook is a reek or a stack, like mm-hmm. as it's a beautiful, majestic mountain in Mayo. Um, and it, it perhaps in this case, he probably was making his mark because he put a church on the top of this mountain. And indeed, every summer we had there is um, pilgrimages up there, many people going barefoot up the mountain. It's quite steep. I've never done it myself, but um, I, I believe it's it's it's, it's um, the views over to Bay are just spectacular. I can just well imagine it. Um, but the church, there's a church there since the 5th century. So obviously he founded a church there, which the modern church is only, is modern, but it's one there throughout the years, throughout the centuries has been there. But there is also evidence of Neolithic and Bronze Age sites very close to uh, Crowpatrick. patrick So obviously this site would have been a site that was associated with worship and, um, and faith from, from very early times. So by putting his mark there, that would have been a statement to say, I'm here now. Also, of course, the story that on the hill of Slain, he lit the Paschal fire, and that would have been a, a real um, snub to the king, because if you think about it, um, fire in Irish mythology and belief was a very, very important symbol. I mean, on our, our four uh, cross-quarter days in Malb, um, and Bealtaine, and Lunasa, Esauan, all had fires lit on various points throughout the land, starting and pretending and depending on which feast as well as to where they'd actually begin and they'd spread across the land so for him just to, uh, to light a fire on such a hill an important hill would have been a bit of a snub to the king so he was trying to put his, his foot down i mean there's no doubt about that but in terms of genocide remember he as i say he was on his own um with his little band of followers and in fact there's i think last week i think i had to put um i talked about um kilman in wicklow Church of the Toothless One, whereby Patrick was actually coming on shore with some followers and they threw a rock and one of his followers got a rock in the face and became the toothless one. And then he actually um, founded a church later on and the county was named after him as the Church of the Toothless One. So obviously you can see he wasn't going around with an army. So I don't know where the idea of genocide would have come from. There's a few other myths, of course. The other uh, myth, the main myth, of course, is the... Um, um, is the, the snakes because there were no snakes in Ireland. There never were snakes in Ireland, and um, they say sometimes that it was actually to do with his um, his um, banishing of the druids. That this was what was meant by it. This was obviously written down long after Patrick's time, um, because there's no mention of it in terms of in his writings or in a, anywhere in and around the time of his of his of his era or even in in. In the couple of hundred after his years after his after his time, sorry, I'm stumbling there a bit, um, because of course snakes never came to Ireland because um, Ireland is uh, was an island already before snakes. When the when snakes eventually reached Britain after the Ice Age, Ireland was already separated, so there was no way for them to get across the sea. Um, so there was never snakes in Ireland, so that's a complete myth. Um, the other myth, of course, is um, the shamrock. Um, it's actually believed that that was written down somewhere in the 1500s, like, I mean, you're talking like 1570s or something by an English botanist who referred to some hearsay that he had heard that Patrick had used the shamrock. And shamrock doesn't just grow in Ireland. Shamrock is just a, it's the name of a certain type of clover that grows in Ireland, but that same type of cl- cl- uh, clover is grown in lots of places in around the world. It's just that because it's in Ireland, it now becomes shamrock, if that makes sense. And um, it's not particular. And of course, the idea that Patrick, I remember learning this one at school, that he went up the hill and he sat down with his follow, with the followers and tried to convert them and talk to them about the three in one God idea. And he picked up a shamrock and said the three the you know, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all in the one God, the three leaves, the one plant. And I mean, really, he was definitely preaching to the converter there because, I mean, so many of our ancient gods and goddesses were already um, already were a, 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 three, a triptych. There was a, like, for example, we have um, the triple goddess of, of of the morrigan bav Nimed and um, macha or or Eru Ban bam for example the goddess of um association with Ishnach. um so really it was absolutely pointless for him to do that he the one that's the one thing you would not need to have done was to, to talk about the triple goddess aspect or god aspect i should say um so it is thought that of course um he is buried in Dune Patrick, Dune being a fort. We've come across that before, Dune Faldrick, um And that would have been in the late fifth uh, century. And he's meant to have been buried, for example, alongside Bridges. But of course, there's no evidence at all that he was buried there um, whatsoever. Um, and that really is, is really is. is I suppose the summary about is about Patrick. I mean, what he left behind in his legacy was he, he left behind um, a, a, a new regime, I suppose, a whole new way of thinking. It became a one God as against a many deity God. And um, whether you like it or not, it became a Christian country after that bit by bit. But as again, it said it was a Christian country married very much with a lot of our pagan beliefs. And for all we might give out about the monks, etc., um, we also have to thank them in a little way. Uh, well, more than a little way in a sense, because Irish tradition, Irish oral tradition, uh, Irish, I should say Irish had a, the Irish had an oral tradition. We didn't write down our, our stories. Our stories were the only written um, type of language was on, which was is more was to do with it was like here lies so and so, whatever it was. It was in rock. So it wasn't really very practical to write write out legends in it. Um, so the monks, when they came over, they were the ones who um, wrote down our ancient stories uh, for the first time, and so for all we might sort of give out about Christianity in terms of getting rid of our ancient ways, it's, it's kind of a really, it's a kind of, it's an ironic that it's also Christianity that kept, in a sense, kept it alive. Because I know, of course, you could say, well, of course, what what would happen if Christianity hadn't come? We would have still been to had our old ancient religion. We were to be colonized remember we would have been colonized colonized by a foreign force by the english and probably maybe it would never have been written down who knows because we were our, they did their best to try and get rid of it. i mean, not talking about english people in general Trump, but the establishment here um so don't worry about that this is not an english anti-english rant by any means um it's about the the, the, the colonial any colonial power is the same no matter where it is um but the british forces be they the under Cromwell, under under the Penal Law times, and indeed right up to the Gurt uh, the famine times were called the famine that wasn't a famine, and um, times when our culture was systematically, I suppose, destroyed, really. So, and, and in fact, the reason why I'm doing this podcast because our our language is, uh, our place names have so been so distorted over the years. So, um, would our would our stories have been written down? Well, there's a question. Um, that really is a question. Perhaps it would have been. Perhaps it would have been written down by great, great Gaelic scholars in, in later medieval times. I, I don't know, um, but certainly they, they were written down in the, the monasteries, and and of course they were, they were. Ireland then later to become the island of saints and scholars in the Dark Ages after the Rome fall of the Roman Empire, whereby many Irish monks went abroad and brought the teachings and. And indeed, Ireland became a. Tom noise, for example, in Ireland in the, in the Midlands became a massive centre of learning. It became like a university of learning that known all over Europe. Uh, so many Irish went abroad and and um, founded um, monasteries and and towns. Even I mean, Gaul in Switzerland is associated with Saint Gaul. and um, we have. Um, St. Killian of the Road of being associated with the town in Germany. So we have so many um, links with the continent. Uh, there was a lot of travel more than you'd ever believe at that time. Um, so yeah, it's a question anyway. Um, but of course, we do know also that they did Christianize them a little bit. I mean, there's a huge amount of the cr- pagan uh, culture that comes through in, in the in the, um, in the writings, in the storytelling of the um, of the monks. It's obvious we can see that. It certainly wasn't a Christian lifestyle that they are um, writing about. But we do see also where they try to add in a little, little bit of conversion, maybe at the end, you know, where, you know, he might have um, he sort of came, he suddenly found Patrick and came along and sort of baptised him just before he died. You know, that way. So it was kind of they tried to sort of sanitise it a little bit at the end to forgive him all his pagan sins. But you know they were monks, so I suppose you have to give them a little bit of leeway in that regard. But anyway, so that's really a little bit about Patrick today. Um, I hope there's—I don't—I th- don't think I think I covered anything. I mean, there's loads more I could talk about, but it'll go on and on forever. Um, uh, as I say, he's two confessions, too writings, confess- confessio—he uh, did write, and he seemed, by all accounts, to be quite a humble man. But that could have been him making himself humble, but we don't know. Anyway, look. For what it's worth, it's Patrick's Day today, Laoi a and it's a day of celebration and day of celebrating our Irishness, and and maybe talking a bit of the couple focal, and it's a day the two weeks before it we now have Shacht actually it's two weeks now a Mhighealga is a week of Irish, but we actually it's more like a Kaikish, which is a fortnight of Irish, and the people try and do a little bit more Irish, and so in that sense it's quite good. And anyway, I hope you enjoyed it and I'll be along hopefully next week. Um, I was a bit late this week. I'm glad I did today, but, um, and I was meant to be a short one, but it went on a bit. Hope uh, you enjoyed it. And I'll talk to you again. And go of my huggers for listening. And thank you so much. And slán go Bye for now.